When I first started podcasting back in 2014, I hosted my first show on a platform called Buzzsprout only because it was recommended to me by a buddy based in Ohio. Shout out to D'Lo over at Thunder Treats for that. He's been my sort of sister site ever since starting up the sports and entertainment blog, guysgirl.com, back in, oh my God, I can't even think of the year, but I think it was like 20, 2007, 2008. Uh, but we both started our sports and entertainment blogs around the same time and both started podcasting around the same time. So he was really somebody that I leaned on to for advice. So years later, I would actually find out that Buzzsprout is based in my hometown of Jacksonville, Florida, which is pretty crazy because I legitimately love this company because they do all of the right things from helping the customer to also the helpful content that they create. So I was pretty pumped to get their head of marketing, Albin Brook, on the show to talk about what's going on in the world of podcasting and the important stories that every creator should be aware of. Hope you guys enjoy. Of marketing for Buzzsprout, which is a podcast hosting company. Now, Albin, you have been in the podcasting world for a while now, but you got your start in logis- in, in law. How did you sort of find your pathway to law and then ultimately to podcasting? Oh, man. Um, well, I worked for a handful of different construction law firms before I decided to go to law school. I got an English degree, which is kind of one of those yeah, you're going to need to go back to school if you actually want to have a real job <laughs> degrees. So it you learn a lot about the world, but maybe you don't uh, build a lot of practical skills. So I ended up working in a few different law firms as a runner, then as a paralegal, and uh, decided I really liked law. Um, my dad and grandfather were both laws, and dad, uh, grandfather was a judge. They both were like, this is not really the career for you. We know you this doesn't seem like it's going to work. And I was like, no, I know what I'm doing. And so went to law school, practiced uh, construction law for a year and a half and quickly realized they were right. Um, often your parents actually know you better than you know yourself, especially when you're younger. So don't you hate that? <laughs> <laughs> if only I could go back and actually take some of the advice rather than just replicating it now with my daughter, where I'll tell her what to do and be, and, uh, you know, be, disregarded the way I disregarded my parents, um, but quickly realized I wanted to leave and that technology and the tech world is where I wanted to be. Um, I'd always had a passion for podcasting. And so when I saw the opportunity um, to leave law and join a podcasting company, I knew it was what I wanted to do. So it's a really big career change. It's definitely a big leap. Um, very lucky that I had family that supported me in doing it. And here I am now. Now, with podcasting, this used to be something that you would have to explain to other folks, like, this is what a podcast is. This is where you go to download an episode, and you can follow other episodes. Do you find that that educational gap has has increased or decreased over the years? Uh, well, the old days, you have to, um, you didn't even have phones. You'd go onto your computer, and you'd get on iTunes, and you'd download some podcasts and put them into an iPod and then listen to them as you walked around. Uh, that was much more difficult. And we've really, it, there's a big shift when we started getting smartphones that you could download directly. And then there's another shift when um, the iPhone started having the podcast app pre-installed. And then the latest shift has been the last four years with Spotify. Spotify has done a really good job of they already get all these people to sign up for their app to listen to music. And then when people see, I'm not in the mood for music, but there's this other thing called podcasts, 
maybe I'll try that. They've introduced millions of new listeners to the podcast ecosystem, which is um, really been great because they're people who just weren't aware or didn't understand how to get a podcast before. Now, with your career or your background in law, was that your initial thinking of what you were going to actually be doing in the podcast field? Were you going to be a lawyer for for maybe Buzzsprout or maybe some podcast creators? Did you see those two industries sort of uh, blending together? I initially just wanted to leave. (laughs) the, The job I took was actually with our parent company, which was mostly running support then doing legal work for one of our apps and then like a promise of, Hey, someday I'll do marketing and, you know, realized like marketing was the thing that I was better at and I really enjoyed. And so as we continue to grow the apps, kind of let those other responsibilities go, I still maintain my law license, but I haven't, you know, actually practiced law in six and a half years now since I left the firm. So 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 I'll send a mean letter, but besides that, (laughs) uh, not a whole lot of legal practice. Well, I'm sure the company is very happy to at least have that that uh, resource available to them if and when they ever need it, um, which may happen more often than not. Who knows what what goes on, I guess, uh, but behind the doors with a lot of different companies. So one of the more fascinating shows that that Buzzsprout actually produces that, that, that you help and you're a creator for them as well is you started releasing these stats, these, these industry-wide stats that are specific to the Buzzsprout platform. Why, what made you want to start releasing those stats out to your audience? So there's a few different reasons, and maybe each person in the company had different reasons for doing it. On the marketing side, um, journalists want to write interesting stories that are backed up by data. And if you want, as a company, to work your story yourself into those stories, giving a journalist hard, concrete data is the best way to do it. And it was painful to me every time that I would get, you know, a developer to run some data to, that I'd have to go and out, reach out to journalists and try to get them to write something. And eventually I, we were like, let's just publish it all publicly and put it out there all the time. And then journalists can find it on their own and then reference it each month as they write new stories. So that was one of the big things is just being able to get into the public eye Uh, with that page. Another was that it was just frustrating to us to see people who didn't have access to any real data kind of trying to infer what changes were happening in the industry or just kind of pontificating about it when, you know, we knew that we had direct access to real data from, you know, nearly a hundred thousand active podcasts, um, tens of millions of downloads each month. We were able to see actual real trends and we wanted to bring that to light. Uh, for anybody who's trying to figure out how to market your company, I mean, just being able to provide unique data sets is really powerful. And uh, it's just, it's interesting to everybody involved and especially journalists who want to write about you. Now, what really stood out to me is the stats and the comparison for the some of the smaller creators out there. I I think that one of the stats that you guys released said that the over if you get like 50 plays or something on an episode, you're in the top 1%. Am I right in, in that stat? I think there's if you get over 37 plays in the first week, uh, your podcast is in the top 50%. So it's above average. And what I love about that stat is it breaks this myth that all the podcasters are like 
Joe Rogan and This American Life and Serial or something that they all are getting tens of millions of downloads a month, when the reality is most podcasts are run by people, hobbyists, brands, businesses that are trying to connect with a very specific audience. You know, they're trying to connect with a few thousand people worldwide. And so for them to actually connect with the correct 37 people is actually really powerful. Uh, So I love sharing that stat because podcasting is not going to get you massive breadth. You're not going to be in front of tens of millions of people. Maybe if you podcast for 10 years, but in the beginning, it's going to be small, but you're going to create a real level of intimacy and depth and trust with your audience that is really unmatched anywhere else. Have you heard of of any creators who or podcasters who have maybe heard that stat and it gives them motivation to keep going? Because that's what it did for me. It was it, it was definitely an industry example where you, you get frustrated at times thinking that, you know, why isn't I really put a lot of effort into this episode? Why am I not getting more downloads? Right. And then you hear that stat and it's like, oh, well, maybe I am doing something right. Is that encouraging for a lot of your maybe, maybe your customers? Yeah, absolutely. And you can remember that like with this level, let me, let me step back a little bit when everything was in person and we did more business with a handshake and we talked directly to people, we were thrilled if we had the opportunity to speak to 30 people to 30 real life people. We knew that that made a difference and it could hit the bottom line of our company. But when we moved online and everything was about YouTube and Twitter and TikTok and whatever new hot app came out, All of a sudden, people were reaching tens of millions. But what happened was, as we got these massive numbers, we ended up trading the depth and trust that we used to build in person for just the mass exposure. And the problem is, um, for a lot of businesses, you need a lot more trust than somebody's seen a few of your tweets, that they've read a Facebook post that you made. That's not going to land you any business, but... One that popped into mind uh, was a small business that helps people uh, start call centers for their their company. So if you're you're doing a lot of call center work, he would come in and he would help you set it up. And instead of doing this mass audience, uh, you know, trying to put everything on YouTube or blogs or somewhere that there are tons of people, he did a podcast, and he was only getting 150 downloads per episode. And so we asked him, like, oh, has this ever been valuable as a marketing channel? He goes, well, there's only so many people at any time who are looking into starting uh, a call center for their company. And he's like, and what, since I've started this, I became right, um, recognized as an industry expert. I have a reason to reach out to the other influencers in the industry. I get to share my experiences, and I get to teach what I'm doing so that my potential customers when they start researching this on their own, you know, they're asking all these questions. What are the best KPIs for a call center? How do I hire the right people? And they're finding his show. And once they realized this is more work than I want to do, well, who have they trusted? Who have they built up a relationship with over hours and hours and hours of listening to him was the guy who started the podcast. And so, you know, if you can think, if your business is one of these businesses that Trust is very important. Building up a relationship with your clients is important. You know you're in it for the long haul. You're not in it for 
Um, you know, this is a fly by night business. They'll be here for only two years. Podcasting is a really great way to scale those in-person type relationships um, with, you know, 30 or 100 or 500 potential clients. I love that story. It, it, it's such a good just uh, to, to, I guess, relate to another creator who isn't getting that many downloads in the grand scheme of things. But it sort of goes back to, to what I like to preach is, is worry about the right metrics. Don't worry about the vanity metrics. Um, so you, you were talking about um, all of the different stats that you guys have released. But over the last year, have you seen podcasting habits change because everybody's working from home? Maybe they're not, you know, uh, commuting as much. So are they listening less or are they actually listening more? What do the latest sort of industry stats sort of lean more towards? Well, right at the beginning of all of the lockdowns, we saw a dramatic decrease in podcast listenership. Um, and that all has come back up. But the reason it dropped so dramatically was all of our habits were disrupted. You know, when most of us were driving on average 45 minutes to work every day, we were listening to podcasts or listening to music or the radio or whatever it may be. And all of a sudden that was disrupted. Over the summer and then into the fall and now back a full year later, people have started to catch back up. They go, okay, I listen now on a run rather than on my drive. Um, so those have shifted. Another thing is Spotify, by bringing millions of new people into the ecosystem, is just about neck and neck with Apple Podcasts. Apple has been really like the, you know, kind of almost controlled the podcasting industry for its entire life. They've had the best directory. They've been very kind and sharing all that data with everybody. And so they've kind of been this benefactor for the entire ecosystem since its inception 17 years ago. And in the last four years, Spotify has really done a good job of introducing more people to podcasting and has really caught up. So in the next few days, we will release our March numbers. And I think either March or April, we will expect Spotify to be the most used podcast app um, across all of the Buzzsprout platform. That's amazing because I feel I, I am a Spotify music fan and I go there to listen to Joe Rogan's clips, but the, I do not like the listening experience whatsoever in, in Spotify. It drives me crazy that I can't have one feed for music and one feed for podcasts, meaning I can set up a queue for just my podcast only and leave the music out of it. Because it, to me, it's just two totally different listening habits. Um, so that's my biggest gripe with Spotify. But I, I, I'm i not alone in my gripes about Spotify because you guys, Buzzsprout, you've been very vocal about you're not a fan of the way that you know Spotify has conducted some of their business. Um, you, you pulled all of your all of your Buzzsprout podcasts from that platform with that that, I guess, listener habit switching, are you guys considering putting your, your platform back on there? Or are you still re remaining strong that you, that you just don't believe in, in some of their business practices? So I guess I should differentiate between, um, you know, the 100,000 podcasts that are on Buzzsprout, everybody gets to decide for themselves if they want to be in Spotify or not. For the four or five podcasts we produce ourselves for our own marketing, um, we decided to remove those from Spotify, and I don't anticipate putting them back. The reason we're doing that is Spotify's whole goal, they've invested um, over half a billion dollars in the podcasting space. 
And their goal is to become the YouTube of podcasting. You know, they want everybody to go to Spotify for all their podcast needs, for creators will go there to create their shows, advertisers will go there to buy ads on podcasts, and then all listeners will go there. And so they kind of get to be that middleman who really controls the industry. The reason that I love podcasting is because it's one of, and in my opinion, there's only three places online where you can connect directly to your audience without permission. So that if somebody starts paying attention to you, uh, somebody else doesn't get in the way. So if you think about, if you build a big audience on Facebook, a lot of small businesses got just wrecked when Facebook said, hey, new policy, uh, we're not gonna let your so many of your posts sh- be shown to your followers that you've spent years building up. Instead, you're gonna have to start boosting that stuff. So actually pay us money so that it, uh, shows to your audience and it killed a lot of small businesses. And when YouTube decided, Hey, we know you've built up this audience over years, but we're not going to show people when your subscribers, um, when you release a new video, unless we think is a good fit for them. So they're not even going to get a notification. Well, a lot of YouTube channels really suffered. And so that happened over and over. We see the story of Facebook and Twitter and YouTube. Content creators, especially businesses who are using content as a marketing stream, these platforms do not care about you. They care about themselves, number one. They care about their audience, number two. And content creators, especially ones that are businesses that they think have money, we are very back of the line. And so I love using these algorithms and these platforms whenever it benefits me. You know, help me get in front of my potential audience on LinkedIn. Great. Thank you, LinkedIn. But the minute that they start paying attention to me, I'm going to say, hey, come to one of the places I control, which are my website, because if I ever don't like my hosting provider, I can move my email newsletter where I can email directly to somebody's inbox. I don't need permission from somebody in the middle and a podcast where I can speak directly to my audience. Every episode's downloaded. Every episode gets listened to and the engagement rates are off the charts. And so... That is the real reason why I'm skeptical of what's happening with Spotify, because a lot of creators, a lot of listeners, a lot of advertisers are excited because Spotify has the ability to, you know, they're showing us all these new shiny features and they look great. But if we all decide to go the entire Spotify route, well, the world we end up in is Spotify controls everything. And then when Spotify decides you know, we don't like this type of content anymore. It doesn't fit our goals. So we're just going to demonetize it or we're going to just not allow it in the app. Or they decide we want to put ads in everyone's podcasts. And maybe you're a nonprofit that ads don't fit what you're trying to do. It doesn't matter. They're going to put them in there anyway, because it's their platform. So don't build a business on you know, rented property, try to own, we're building businesses because we want to own something and control it. So that's one of the main reasons we've been skeptical of what Spotify has been doing in the space. Is there anything that they can do to rectify that relationship or, or just, you know, sort of following the breadcrumbs? It's, it's, is, is it in your opinion, more of just an eventuality that Spotify is going to take the route that, you know, the Facebook and the YouTubes of the world have previously taken? Well, the only way for them to make back the money that they've invested would be to do that. You know, they need to become the platform for that, all those investments to pay off. 
Um, so they only can shoot for that goal. Now, when you say to rectify the relationship, Spotify is happy you know, that we send them the podcast that want to be in Spotify. They're not too stressed out about what Buzzsprout thinks about them. They are much, much larger than we are. Um, what I would like to see is more of, which this just doesn't align with Spotify's business goals, so they won't do it, but more of them working with um, groups like the Podcast Index who are trying to find ways that we can standardize a lot of these new features so that everyone has the option to go to whatever host they want, to whatever advertisers they want to work with, to get their podcast into whatever app they would people, listeners want to listen in. And it allows for a lot more diversity in the entire podcasting ecosystem rather than going to one place. I mean, just think about how different email is. You know, we have people who do their are using Gmail, people that are on any number of services to send and receive email. You can customize it in any number of ways. But then on YouTube, the only place to really go for video is YouTube. You know, almost all video is there and YouTube controls it. And when YouTube doesn't like you, then you're kind of cut off from video from that point on. So we'd like it to stay more of the email world rather than the YouTube world. And, and so with the, the podcasting index for, for people who don't know, is that just a way to sort of, I guess, code the, the feed that comes from everybody's podcast in order to make sure it's consistent across different providers? Yeah, exactly. The whole idea would be, let's talk about how this entire industry can work together to make it better rather than, you know, it's more of a democratic way of doing it rather than Spotify being the platform, which is a little bit more of a, you know, they're just a single government that's, you know, like a run, like a monarchy where they make all the decisions. And so it would take, it takes a bit more work, but that's one of the things we're really invested in now is trying to be leaders for this open ecosystem where we can all work together and make a better podcasting experience for everyone involved. So for, for the rare occasion that a podcaster will make it to the grand level that someone like a Joe Rogan has, he made his transition to a Spotify exclusive show. But that's you recently shared an interview of why that was you didn't do the interview. You just shared it on, on your Twitter feed. But you they had mentioned of the mistakes that he had made because he's lost that community now. If you were Rogan, what would you do? It, would you just leave Spotify um, for, for, I guess, the creators that make it to that top 1%? What should they keep in mind as they start getting offers for maybe other companies in order to work with them? Well, the reason that it was a mistake for Joe is because he built this entire podcast empire on being available everywhere. And so he was available on YouTube and in YouTube clips and on podcasts. And he only had, I think, like four employees. And it was this super lean team that was just putting out great content consistently and distributing it everywhere. And they were doing an amazing job and they were making money by selling ads. And Spotify said, hey, come be exclusive to our platform. Uh, and at that time, nobody, and I mean, like not one, uh, nobody was listening to Joe Rogan on Spotify because he wasn't there. He was where, where, available everywhere else. So when he moved to Spotify, he got somewhere in the range, in hundreds of millions of dollars, at least a hundred and could have gone quite a bit up from there, depending on how the whole deal ends up working out. 
for at least a few years, totally locked in there. The downside is, well, now his audience is definitely not growing as fast as it could. He has less reach. It's going to be more difficult for him to reach these top level guests that he's consistently, you know, was able to reach. Like um, he had Bernie Sanders on his podcast and he had Elon Musk on his podcast. And he'd consistently have celebrities and artists and all sorts of people on his shows. And so he diminished his audience growth. He made it hard. He lost quite a bit of his audience who just weren't interested in moving over to Spotify because they already were listening somewhere else. Um, made it a little bit harder for him to reach new guests. And then while to us, $100 million plus sounds like incredible numbers, those numbers are really small when you think about he was getting tens of millions of downloads every month. And had he decided to, instead of going the route of going exclusive with Spotify, said, I'm just going to keep focusing on growing this even larger and selling ads. He probably could have made more money in the long run. Had he decided to go and make it a membership where the first half of the interviews are open for everybody. You know, you can listen to an hour and a half of Elon Musk talk, but if you want to hear the second half, you'll need to come over and subscribe. Or he could have created special perks. A lot of podcasts make it so... um Somebody can pay $5 a month, but then have access to Q&As with the guests. There's so many ways he could have monetized that and kept control. What happened is Joe Rogan built his whole empire being kind of a little bit, you know, at times racy, saying he's kind of bringing in controversial topics, saying, I'm just going to be me and I'm not going to worry what anyone thinks about it. Well, that doesn't work when you have a corporate uh you know, corporate company that is looking over your shoulder going, Hey, this may not be politically correct, or we don't really like this viewpoint. And, you know, inevitably, like everybody expected to happen, um, certain episodes were being censored or being taken down. So it never really aligned with his interests and, you know, a hundred million dollars, a lot of money. It just seemed short-sighted at the time. Yeah, I agree. I the the listening experience is just so inferior on on Spotify. So if if they ever get a chance to to listen to this show, just fix the listening experience and I think that <laughs> in adding a more community feature to it because that was the great part about YouTube as well is that you can scroll down or maybe some of the worst parts about YouTube is the comment section. It's the best but, <laughs> and the worst part of YouTube for sure. Right. <laughs> exactly. But but as we're we're starting to talk about, you know, the the community aspect and that importance to to, to podcasting. Buzzsprout is also very high on community. You have a very successful Facebook group. Was that in the initial plans for, for marketing of, of Buzzsprout? It, how does a, building a community fit into the overall marketing plan for you guys? Hmm. So the way we, I've always thought about our marketing is that we are first and foremost educators. We're trying to make it easy for people to get a podcast online and distributed to the world. And so the first thing was just writing a really good blog post about how to start a podcast. And then when people would ask specific questions, how do I do artwork for podcasts? How do I do this for podcasts? We just started answering those questions. And over time, I was realizing I could invest a lot of time on social media, trying to get people to pay attention to me. And the minute that I stopped, it all disappeared. But I realized I spent sat down once and for two days, I wrote how to write the, create the best podcast artwork. 
And then I was seeing it was getting thousands of reads every month. And for a year, I didn't touch it again to continue to get thousands of reads. And I realized the power of putting out these really excellent pieces of content that could just live out on the web for years. And lots of people would read and appreciate and link to, and I'd continue to get new readers. And so that was kind of the moment where I realized we need to be creating as much educational content as possible. So when somebody decides, I want to investigate this podcasting thing, that we were helping them because it's the same thing um, that I'm advocating for small businesses to do with podcasts. You become the trusted source of information. You build a lot of trust with your audience. You teach them how to do things on their own. And then if they want somebody to pay somebody to help them, then you can be the solution. You don't have to be the solution every time. Uh, Sometimes they will go and just learn from you and be thankful, but we wanted to be the partner for people when they were starting a podcast. So that ethos worked is part of our app where we're trying to make it as simple as possible for people to get a podcast out to the world, to our uh, support team, where most of our competitors, you know, it may take a day or two for you to get a response uh, we respond to everybody within 15 minutes. Like we're really trying to be as helpful as possible because we know anytime you are, you know, maybe you started working in one industry and now you're kind of being pulled into marketing a little bit. Well, once that starts happening, you need someone who could tell you, Hey, I don't know your industry, but let me teach you a little bit about this podcasting thing and make that simple because you have the expertise uh, you in your industry, but you may not necessarily understand how all the little technical things fit together. And a little bit of help then really goes a long way. And then it also creates this good feedback loop of the questions that still remain out there and the questions that your audience is still asking, despite having all of this educational stuff in there. Maybe there's a way that you can just tweak something just a little bit so that extra person can understand um, and eventually, you know, possibly become a, a customer down the line. But with I think a lot of your content, especially the podcast, they, they just it, there's no selling involved. It just comes naturally, which is why I love you guys. Um, Um, So with your experience with watching all of these different podcasters start and grow and flourish, what are some of the creative ways that you've seen someone market their podcast? Because I, I could make it, you know, an argument, and I'm sure you would agree that the discoverability is 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 the biggest issue with podcasts. That it's tough to discover a new podcast outside of word of mouth. Are there any creative ways that you're seeing out there uh, that podcasters are utilizing to get that? It, I guess uh, that word of mouth on steroids. Sure. Word of mouth is still the best marketing channel for almost every business. You know, we. Or I feel like all the online marketing nerds want to be able to connect every $5 you spend to a click to a person and track it the whole way. But the fact of the matter is a lot of times before someone even sees my ad, they've already heard something from a person, you know, so that's really word of mouth is a big part of that. And so what we see a lot of times is we're trying to provide this uh, really awesome experience so that people can Uh, recommend us through word of mouth. So with podcasting, how do you make it so that people, we put their, the word of mouth exposure on steroids? Well, one, you have to have a very crystal clear, like one sentence explanation of what your podcast is about. If your podcast is about everything, then it means it's not interesting. Nobody will see that's the podcast for me. 
If it's about a specific, a very focused thing, then and all of your listeners will go, oh, I know three people who would also be interested in this and they could reach out and recommend them. So if you have a podcast, it's like, oh, this is about TV shows and, and culture. I mean, nobody goes, oh, I have a friend who's really into TV shows and culture. You know, they're going to reach out to that person. But if you've got a podcast that is about a specific soap opera, well, if they know somebody who is into that soap <laughs> opera, they will tell them, hey, this is the show you should be listening to. Very or loudly. If about, <laughs> or if it's about the logistics company, uh, industry, they will reach out to their friends and say, hey, I listen to this podcast about the logistics industry, and I think you would really get a lot from it. And so focusing on a particular topic and then um, kind of reiterating, this is what the topic, the podcast is about over and over is really valuable because your listeners then can use that to recommend it to other people. Uh, how do you see video playing a role in that? We've seen, you know, a lot of podcasts moving their their show to YouTube and just adding, you know, up a, a, an image while the audio plays in the background. Obviously, Spotify has invested a ton, not enough yet, into their video <laughs> component of of their podcasting. How do you see that? Do you see it playing a greater role within the industry? The way I see it works in the industry, it actually is beneficial to podcasters. Is when Podcasts actually record video first. They create a video asset and then they use that to create the podcast. So unless you're actually filming the interview, um, like with a camera like we're doing right now, what you end up with is just a piece of artwork and some audio up on YouTube. And that does not work. You know, over and over, I've seen podcasts try to go that route. And what they end up doing is just kind of creating these lame YouTube channels that get 20 views per episode. Um, and really those are going to be views that are like 10 seconds of somebody watching, not people listening to the whole episode. So the numbers are really not exciting unless you do pretty much what Joe Rogan was doing, record the entire thing in video. So people can engage with the audience. They can see the uh, reactions and kind of have fun along with the guest. And then the other thing that Joe did really well was he cut his podcast up into clips. And so you would have a celebrity talking about a very particular thing. It'd be like Jamie Foxx talking about creativity. And so that every once in a while, one of those would go viral and you'd see it on YouTube and go, that's kind of sounds interesting and click on it. And that could be people's first experience of the podcast. So what it allows you to do is to use YouTube this platform to drive interest in your podcast. And then you are able to take that audience and tell them, Hey, I've got this podcast, come on over here. And what you've done is you've used the platform and the algorithm for your advantage to get in front of new people. But then the minute that they were actually like, Oh, I really like your podcast. You say, come on over to this place that I control because the minute YouTube doesn't like me, I don't want to lose this relationship that we have now. And so it's really it was an excellent thing for Joe Rogan to do. And I think that all podcasters should be doing it, record in video and then upload that video to YouTube 
and then repurpose the audio as a podcast. That's exactly my, my creative process because I noticed that when I would look at his main channel and it's like a two hour show, I'm like, I don't want to invest my time into that. But then the algorithm would recommend the clips channel and it's, you know, anywhere from five to 15 minutes long. And you watch a few of these and before you know it, you've watched the entire show. And I think that that's how they got me. And that's ultimately how I became a fan of his show and then followed him from platform to platform. Even though the experience isn't as ideal and the algorithm isn't as good as it is on YouTube, I will still go out of my way to at least check out the clips and to see if that's something that I would want to invest my time in. But that's not, you're absolutely 100% right. That's how podcasters can get that extra discovery ability is by making those clips because short form video, we covered it in last week's show that it's not going anywhere. And and if anything, it's just going to be increasingly adopted more and more as as a marketing tactic and as just a regular, just a consumption. Uh, I I can't tell you, it's probably embarrassing how many hours I spend on short form video (laughs) each day. I could be getting so much more done. Uh, But speaking of the creative process, uh, you guys produce, not only do you produce your educational content, but you, 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 I think you said you have five shows now within the the Buzzsprout ecosystem. What is sort of your creative process when you're you're thinking of new topics for a show, or how do you show plan for the future? Um, so we start with SEO mindset. You know, I, um, one of the first things I did when I got into marketing was try to teach myself SEO, and really the doing keyword research, trying to find what things are people actually searching for on Google. And which of that subset could I actually rank for? You know, if you try to rank for credit card, you are never going to because the people who are ranking for credit card are, you know, these companies that have invested tens of millions of dollars in building that website. So I couldn't do that. But there's pretty long tail keywords like, how do I get a podcast into Spotify? Uh, For a long time, I outranked Spotify on keywords like that. And it was really valuable to be able to be the person who answered that. So we do a lot of research and figuring out what questions are people asking and which of those questions can we answer? And then which of those questions actually fulfill some business uh, value for us? And so we went through, we did that whole process um, and we came up with just a lot of keywords that we will continue to target time and time again. And so We do it on our blog where we try to write the world's best blog post on each topic. We do it on our YouTube channel where we're trying to create the best video on that topic that we can. And then we do it in our podcast episodes where we are trying to create the best podcast episode on those topics. And the goal is we want to have uh, pretty much no matter what type of medium you prefer that you'd be able to listen to us teach you how to solve any podcast problems you have. Smart, because I've also seen you very active on the app Clubhouse, which some have called sort of a podcast killer. Where do you see how do you how do you see those those two platforms? uh, Do you see them aligning or competing with each other in the future? Well, there was a big shift in like TV when the Betamax and the VCR came out and people were able to start recording things because we realized, oh, you don't have to watch your bit, your TV show that's on Fridays at 8 p.m. You don't have to watch it at 8 p.m. You could actually record it and watch it later. That was a huge shift for TV. And it's funny that podcasting has always been a uh, time shift. You could listen to it whenever you wanted because it was put out 
now. And I found episodes that were seven years old that were really valuable to me. And what we're actually doing is we're saying, hey, there's actually a little bit that's lost when something's produced and put out there and maybe the audience discovers it seven years later. There's something special, no matter what we think about going to a sporting event, going to a concert, doing something live and with people. And so what Clubhouse is doing and pretty much everybody that's copying them as fast as they can is they're saying, hey, let's try to get conversations going among people while um, in real time. So there's some things that are exciting. You know, you can have a, you know, spontaneous, you know, these kind of spontaneous conversations that are really interesting. You can connect with people you never thought you would have connected with. And there is some kind of magic that happens. But for anybody who can't listen at the exact time, then you miss out. And so I don't think it's um, something that will kill podcasting. I think it's probably this new thing that we're realizing. We kind of like these conversations, but we'd like for more people to be able to just go on and do them versus, you know, putting something out there for years as a static thing. So I, I'm a fan. I just don't think it's going to replicate what podcasting is doing. I also am a little bit, you know, skeptical that Clubhouse will be the one who wins this industry. Right now, it's the coolest thing because it came out during, um, you know, this global pandemic where a lot of people are spending way more time at home than they ever had before, and they wanted to be talking. But I could easily see platforms that already have really big networks of friends and acquaintances and business partners like um, LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook that have already built up all of that social graph, I think a lot of them will be really set to win these areas, which are really just conversations between mm. people who are interested in the same topic. That's a really good way of looking at it because it, when Twitter Spaces was announced, that was my first thought is I have a Clubhouse account, but if Twitter is where I'm more active, I think that that's probably where if I were to invest my time in into creating more audio content like that, then that's probably where I would invest it, that or, or LinkedIn. Okay, so we only got a couple minutes left, but if you are speaking to a potential new podcaster out there, give us a couple tips of, of must-dos and must-don'ts that you would give to a, a, a on-the-fence podcaster. Sure. So number one is consider audio quality, but don't become a slave to it. A lot of people think you have to do thousands of dollars in audio equipment to get good sound. Um, if you go and buy a $60 microphone, and plug it right into your computer, you can sound great. One we recommend a lot is the Samson Q2U. It's a really great mic. Uh, second is really focus on what is the topic that you can talk about every week, that you're excited about, that serves some purpose for you, whether it be you're enjoying yourself or it has a business purpose. What is the topic you can talk about? But going, you know, maybe three is kind of following up on that is what is the thing you naturally talk about to with friends? And what is the thing that people always ask you questions about? If people are always asking you questions about something, they notice that you have a particular knowledge in that area. And so you should be sharing that on a podcast so you can reach many more people. Um, four, just hit the basics in distribution. So once you've got your podcast up on a site like Buzzsprout, 
Make sure it gets into Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google. Those are the main ways that people connect to your podcast. And then when you start, commit to some you know, number, maybe 10 podcasts that you're going to put out before you start judging the return on investment. Because podcasts are very slow growth, but if you stick with it over time, they create an incredible amount of connection and trust with your audience. It's really, really powerful. Uh, Most podcasts don't make it to 10 episodes. And if you can make it for a year, you're going to be in the very top of all the podcasts in your area just by nature of you sticking with it for a year. So think about what is it that I'm interested in that actually has a purpose that I can talk about easily and then commit to maybe 10 episodes or six months or a year of podcasting about it and just see how quickly you start building an audience and building expertise in this new medium. I love that. It's great motivation for for anybody that's still kind of on the fence on whether they want to start a podcast or not. All right, Albin, finally, where can people find more of your work? Um, so I'm Albin Brook on Twitter. And if you have any questions and you want to talk about marketing or leaving law or podcasting in particular, uh, Twitter's the best place to find me. And I love, you know, just talking to people and sharing what I've learned. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. As always, you can find each show I publish along with more insight over on my website at digitaldispatch.io. If you like this podcast, and I think you'll love another show I host, Cyberly, which covers the attention economy, B2B marketing, and how it all ties into the world of logistics. That show airs every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here live on Freight Waves TV. There are also some links to my social media accounts along with my products and services that might be of interest to you found in the show notes or again over on my digitaldispatch.io website. If you found this episode interesting and or entertaining, be sure to share it with a friend. Word of mouth is the best kind of marketing and since podcast discoverability has and remains an issue in this medium, I trust that folks like yourself will share it with those who would also find it useful. Until next time, my name is Blythe Brumleaven. I will see you real soon.